everyone. Welcome to Horty Springer and Matters Health Law Expressions Podcast, Physician Burnout, Addressing a Public Health Crisis Worsened by the COVID-19 Pandemic. I'm Charlie Shulak, and I'm joined by my partner, Rachel Remley, and we're coming to you remotely for this podcast. Now, there's been quite a bit of coverage of physician burnout over the last few years. Some publications have described it as a public health crisis that results in things such as high turnover rates, inefficiency, increased medical errors, and even exit from the profession. But before the COVID-19 pandemic, burnout was linked primarily to the demands of electronic health records and a reduction in physician autonomy. With what has occurred over the last several months, the picture has become much more complicated. Physicians in COVID-19 hotspots can be treating an overwhelming amount of critically ill patients, and they're also confronting death rates unlike anything they have ever seen. They're making hard decisions that could permanently shape their moral foundation and identity as a healthcare provider. We're also hearing anecdotal reports of physician suicide and mental health issues. So, Rachel, I wouldn't say we're out of the woods yet with COVID-19. And, you know, some of the experts are predicting another spike in cases. But what appears to be the passing of the first peak of cases, at least in New York, what can we expect in terms of the lasting effects on physicians? Um, Thanks, Charlie. You know, I think that what you have said here is absolutely right in terms of what are going to be the lasting effects. We're starting to see the experts predict is that this isn't something that when the cases start to let up a bit, when the states start to ease restrictions and release people from lockdown, that this is all going to be something we kiss goodbye um, and as you mentioned, you know, physician burnout was already really at some sort of tipping point before this pandemic began. So many mental health care professionals have begun to speak of how the pandemic's going to affect healthcare professionals in the long run. One recent news report said that studies from the SARS epidemic showed that 10 to 20 percent of doctors and nurses expected PTSD uh, symptoms as a result of that and that they lasted for a year on average and were described as being highly stressful. That same news report said that uh, Mount Sinai is studying the stress impact of COVID-19 and expects tens of thousands are going to suffer some sort of post-traumatic stress disorder. And just today, actually, the director of the World Health Organization said in a news release that mental health impact um, particularly on healthcare workers and children, is extremely concerning. An article that was on CNN that discussed that statement said that 47% of the healthcare workers in Canada have reported a need for psychological support, and 50% of the healthcare workers in China reported suffering from some sort of depression during the COVID 19 pandemic. Uh, concerning statistics. Yeah, those are some pretty significant numbers. So, you know, with that in mind, what do you think hospitals and, and health systems can do to help providers that are suffering from the adverse effects of the COVID-19 crisis? Well, you know, obviously, post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, addiction, and other mental health diagnoses that are induced by or exacerbated by stress, they really do require medical help. We're not suggesting that a hospital or its medical staff are going to implement some sort of COVID-19 recovery plan that's going to substitute for practitioners getting appropriate medical care. But knowing that physicians as a population were already vulnerable to burnout when the pandemic began, 
And knowing that this just piled on the stress and exposed so many to trauma, it really is time to start discussing whether hospitals and medical staffs can take any steps collectively now and in the future to help reduce those effects. So where do you start? Absent the ability to actually stop the pandemic, which of course we can't do right now, or to you know shield providers from emotional and economic realities that the pandemic's going to bring, what role can they play? As a preliminary matter, I think that we have to really think about and acknowledge that physicians and other healthcare practitioners, they're going to walk away from this traumatized in a way that differs from that that's suffered by other members of the general population. So there's a lot of news reports out there and suggestions out there about how to handle the stress of this generally, how to handle the stress of being in lockdown for everybody in the population. And that's wonderful and great. And healthcare providers can maybe use that advice as well. But there's going to be things that are unique to healthcare providers. You know, in addition to the general fear of becoming sick or dying, which, you know, perhaps everybody in the population or other people who were actually COVID patients have felt, healthcare practitioners have some unique stresses that have, or stressors that have happened in this case. There's the moral turmoil that's associated with providing medical service services in light of the pandemic. Well, maybe practitioners were focused on the benefit to the masses as opposed to, you know, their normal role, which is being focused solely on the benefit of the physician's own patient and being an advocate for their own patient without compromise. Anyone who provided care in a hospital that was overwhelmed or who was asked to work on clinical guidelines to decide how ventilators or drugs would be rationed at the hospital, they might feel some sense of, you know, deep moral conflict or frustration and a sadness when they look back at this time. Some doctors might have, by necessity, been less attentive to patients than they normally would have been. We've certainly seen reports of providers saying that there's so many patients in acute distress that you simply couldn't check on them as often as normal or do the things you would normally do or hold their hand or look them in the eye or speak to them personally. You just had to do the work and move on. And that could be very troubling for healthcare practitioners in the long run. It could lead some second guessing their patients' outcomes and whether they contributed to those outcomes. Some doctors might be angry. Um, angry at a system that's perceived as not having been prepared appropriately to meet the needs of patients, not being prepared to give them the tools that they needed or the protection to perform their work confidently and to perform it with the feeling that they weren't going to get sick or take home sickness to their families. And some might walk away uh, with a sense of dismay at the community in general for not being stoic enough or compliant enough when isolating and distancing. I uh, recently read a news report when we were preparing for this about a doctor who um, said, you know, people are suntanning as patients die. And according to the report, it was an emergency room doctor, and he said he, quote, took it as a deep insult, unquote. You know, I think when you're making really large sacrifices like we've seen from healthcare providers in the news, sleeping in their garages and not seeing their families at all so that they can make sure they can provide the best care, and then you see in their communities, those practitioners see in their communities that other people are out at the park having parties instead of staying home. That can leave them, I think, with a really disheartening feeling that can increase the stress that they're already under and the resentment of what happened. So knowing what a huge toll the pandemic is going to take on providers, 
Some healthcare systems have actually already begun to think of this and implement what they're calling stress relief or stress relief and resilience programs. Sometimes um, they've been described as offering daily virtual updates regarding the pandemic response, on-call emotional or crisis support. I think that's happening via telephone call centers and on um, electronic programs. They're maybe offering the availability of meditation and mindfulness training. Some have said they're going to actually hire additional psychologists and other emotional support personnel to be in the hospital. Is this going to be for the community at large, just for the healthcare personnel at the hospital? Is that going to be provided long term? Is that only short term? Who knows? Yeah, so there's a lot of questions that are unanswered, but there are some steps that you can certainly take now to start preparing. And, you know, first, and I can't emphasize this enough, is use your practitioner health committee if you have one. If you don't, now Mm -hmm. is certainly a good time to put one together. And generally, these practitioner health committees include members with an expertise or interest in health issues. And even though they may not have much experience addressing PTSD, they could easily learn a lot from the resources that are available right now on the internet and through other sources. And then through your practitioner health committee, you can start planning educational sessions and also communications about things such as the signs of PTSD and trauma and the increased incidence following a disaster or a pandemic. And then also encourage physicians to seek help if they notice any of these signs. And then also communicate the process for seeking such assistance. Be prepared with talking points, a description of the medical staff's practitioner health process, and emphasize the supportive role that medical staff leaders can play in this process, in this attempt at addressing the adverse effects of the COVID-19 crisis when it comes to mental health issues. Also, you might want to consult with the hospital's legal counsel about the ways that physicians can seek or be referred for mental health services in a confidential fashion without affecting their ability to keep practicing. So, Rachel, anything else that you can think of that hospitals and medical staffs can do to address this issue? Sure. There's tons that everybody could be thinking about right now. Do what medical staffs have always done. This is a place where the community of physicians and other practitioners come together, and they've often done education together and improved their practices together. This is a forum for discussing, for debriefing. The hospital can provide that opportunity through its medical staff structure. This, you know, can help people not to bottle up the feelings about this experience. This was a collective experience where practitioners came together and are coming together still to help meet the needs of the community in light of the COVID pandemic. So let's just keep that going. Let's use the hospital medical staff as an avenue for giving people an outlet to vent their frustrations and their concerns, to talk through what was a stressful event instead of keeping it inside. Um, And that might help people to really consider how are others reacting, how are they managing, and to realize they're not alone if they're looking back on this experience with feelings of resentment or continuing anxiety. I think, too, um, if there is such a forum, it can be helpful to acknowledge that there's a feeling of helplessness that came along with the COVID pandemic, um, and particularly with healthcare practitioners, maybe because they 
it couldn't stop the pandemic. They couldn't help some of their patients. Some of them who weren't even involved in directly treating COVID patients might have had to, on a moment's notice, close up their business, and now they're suffering financially. Um, there are so many aspects of that that cause stress. So in the face of helplessness, one thing that I think most mental health care providers have said they agree on is that it can be good to find other ways where you feel like you are in control and that that helps to alleviate some of those feelings. So think about how can we help practitioners who've been made to feel helpless by this feel more in control in the future? And one way is to actively involve those practitioners in planning for the future, for example. So if you're thinking, well, another round of this could happen in the fall and we Maybe a lot of places are thinking, you know what, the disaster privileges and the disaster response and the emergency management plan that we had in place, it hadn't really anticipated something exactly like this. And we saw ways that this worked and we saw ways that it didn't work. And we need to think about changing how we do things in the future. Involve the medical staff actively from the very beginning in discussing those things. What are we going to do if this happens again in the fall? How are we going to plan things differently? How are we going to set things up? Um, How should we get back to normal. You know, I've seen, and I'm sure you've seen Charlie in the past few weeks, or more the past week or two, a lot of hospitals that we work with and medical staffs we work with have been asking questions about starting to do elective procedures again. And so, you know, there was that like leaving normal that happened six, eight weeks ago. And now there's a lot of questions about getting back to normal. Include the practitioners in those conversations. How is that going to happen? Who's going to get priority? How are elective surgeries going to occur or elective procedures? How are we going to make sure that as we get back to normal, it's fair, that people feel like their opinion is needed and that their own personal consideration matters to the organization as a whole, that when they made the sacrifice so that things could grind to a halt to address an emergency, can we also, you know, include them in the process so that they feel like their opinion matters and they matter in the process of gearing things back up? Other things that can be done. Honor those who made a sacrifice. Send out email blasts, postings, news releases. I know there's some talk in the news about, you know, it's not just helpful enough to call practitioners heroes. That's, you know, that's wonderful and fine and dandy, but we need to have some more feasible help for practitioners who've made a huge financial sacrifice and what and whatnot. And and I agree with that. But that doesn't mean that it's not appropriate also now that we're coming up for a breath of air to say, good God, look at what everybody did here. We really pulled together. We met the needs of the community. And here's the people locally who made a huge difference and who we appreciate and honor within our community. So I think that that's important to do, to say thanks for the hospital, to say thanks for the medical staff, to say thanks for everybody to acknowledge that. I think it's, you know, in a time, I don't know, maybe this is me being naive (laughs) um, or optimistic, but in a time where there's been so much tension between hospitals and practitioners and so much economic competition within healthcare, I feel like when something like this has happened and you tackled it together, I think it's a good time to say, you know, we're proud to work with you. We're proud to be part of this community of healthcare providers together and to make the community know that that's true as well. This COVID pandemic is a great opportunity for communities that have lost a sense of the value of their community hospital to re-understand why 
hospitals are so important, why the doctors who work in them and staff them 24 hours a day are so important. And so um, conveying that message from the organization itself and supporting that message, I think, can be very important and go a long way. To that end, let everybody see you as the practitioner's advocate, if you can. You know, paying a little lip service isn't enough, but, you know, in the wake of this pandemic, there's going to be questions about how to distribute stimulus funds, whether stimulus funds are even going to be made available in addition to what's already out there. I'm sure questions are going to be raised about all of these telemedicine changes. Should we keep them? Should we keep offering telemedicine this way or should we go back to the way things were? What about, you know, all of these changes in licensure? What about, you know, everything's changed. So as policy changes are being debated in the future, I think it's important that the physicians and practitioners on a medical staff in the hospital feel like they are advocating for one another. That when somebody is talking about what needs to happen to ensure the future of healthcare in the community, that they are relaying the message about what needs to happen, not only to protect the hospital, but also to protect the practitioners who are there, who stopped what they were doing and gave up so much to staff the hospitals during this tough time. Because things are really confusing up in the air right now, I also think it's so important to be more transparent than ever. The laws have been changing, sometimes daily. Hospital medical staff bylaws have been revised. Policies have been revised. Everybody didn't anticipate that things would roll out exactly the way they did. And what we've seen is that a lot of healthcare organizations had to scramble to address those things. They had to take waivers from the law and implement them. They had to change the way they do everything and the way the medical staff runs and the way the clinical care runs. So, you know, I think that with that said, it's left practitioners, healthcare practitioners who are actually providing the care every day and working longer shifts than they normally would and maybe working shifts in physical environments where they otherwise wouldn't. Uh, they're too busy to keep up necessarily with all of those things. So if the hospital has been trying to keep up with a lot of that, I think that it can be helpful to try to reach out and provide an avenue for keeping information available to members of the medical staff. I'm not saying that you provide necessarily a summary of, you know, today's healthcare law, but saying, you know, you might have noticed that things have been changing. Hey, you're up for reappointment and reappointment's not going to work the same way this year because of what's been going on with the pandemic. You know, provide some generalized information on a regular basis so that people aren't just left wondering what the heck's going on while they're working these long shifts where they have some information that's being routinely put out so they can feel comfortable that somebody's considering their needs and their interests while they're busy dealing with these things. And finally, I wanted to just mention, you know, we've seen during the COVID pandemic as it's rolled out that some of our clients have had an increase in some behavioral issues at their organizations. And medical staff leaders have been real good about finding the time, even with everything that's going on, to address those. But as we've always preached, in all things, be reasonable. Some of the conduct issues that we've seen have been from practitioners who are already on the radar, but some have been from new and unexpected individuals. So it's important to remember, always factor in the circumstances of this pandemic if you're reviewing an issue like that, a behavioral issue that occurred during the course of this emergency. It doesn't mean you have to excuse inappropriate behavior that occurred during this time, but really every conversation about a behavioral incident that occurred during this period of time should probably include some discussion or consideration of these unique stressors of the day 
And I think if um, practitioners can feel confident that the leaders they work with at the hospital are thinking of them as people and not just as policy matters, that that'll go a long way in helping them to feel appreciated and to deal with some of the stress. What can the practitioners do to help themselves, Charlie? Is there anything else that, any advice you can offer in that regard? Yeah, and I, thanks, Rachel. And I just wanted to say in closing, and you know, we understand the times are tough now for everyone, especially healthcare providers that are on the front line. So, of course, we encourage you to take care of yourself. Focus on your daily routines and how to enhance those routines to improve your mental health and your coping abilities. First, make sure you're exercising. In other words, exercise, exercise, exercise. It's one of the best methods to deal with stress and anxiety. I know you might not have much time, but carve a little bit of time, even if it's a few minutes out of every day to get some exercise, to get your blood flowing, to get your heart rate up. And be present when you exercise. One of the things that I've been doing since I've been working from home is taking a walk around my community and being present during that walk rather than quickly trying to get it over with. I'm looking at the different types of houses in my community. I'm noticing the flowers blooming, the trees blooming, and to tell you the truth, it has been wonderfully relaxing. Also, make sure you're eating healthy. Food is fuel. You want to put high-octane fuel into your system. Comfort foods, of course, are okay every so often, but focus on fresh fruits and vegetables, lean cuts of meat, if you're a meat eater, uh, make sure you're getting enough sleep. You have to recharge your battery. Expect to manage stress effectively. Can't do that if you aren't getting a good night's rest. And finally, and I know this is a tough one with a lot of us still practicing social distancing, but connect regularly with your colleagues, your friends, your family, even if it's through a phone call or FaceTime. We can share our experiences and not feel so alone with what's going on in the world and at our jobs right now. So that's it. I want to thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Rachel, for all your wonderful insight and great points. Thanks, um, Charlie. Yep. Yeah, thanks. Bye-bye. All right. Bye, everybody.